brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Thank you. 
Well, that is the French group out of France. Uh, they just won a major TV show competition. And you can find that song. It's Demons, uh, the name of the group. It's Patsy. You can find it uh, and you can buy this track on uh, Bandcamp, iTunes, Spotify, and a lot of other uh, apps. Great song. I really enjoy it. Normally, I don't play a song uh, that people request, but this one kind of really fit the, the paranormal. In the news, uh, the VA, well, is just disregarding what the U.S. Congress is asking them not to do. They want to experiment on dogs. But the thing is, it's going to be a fatal, well, experiments. That means the dogs will be deceased when they're done doing their experiments. I thought we went away with that a long time ago. Well, the Army wants bigger and bolder and harder-hitting bullets. More hitting power. NASA today just said that the New Horizons is going to be the very first, of anything, to show a close-up pictures of a distant solar system. And there's a rogue planet floating around out there uh, in our universe, uh, in our solar system. You know, they said that, uh, you know, maybe that's why some of the planets are kind of staggered the way they are maybe years and years ago, many moons ago. A rogue planet may be plowed through. Now, this one here is about the sixth of the size of the sun. So that's pretty good size. Uh, you know, they said, don't worry. It could not hit Earth for at least one point some million years. So you don't have to worry about that happening yet. Ah, Well, that's good to know. I hope everybody's having a good day. The week is well starting to wind down. Uh, the weather here at the harbor, well, it was kind of, well, it wasn't raining. A little bit of sprinkles today. But boy, I kind of miss uh, that nice weather we had. I don't know about where you're at, but you know, the earth changes. A little bit of wobble to the earth, the magnetic field uh, moving on. Uh, you know, now it's almost like a, a daily thing when uh, airline pilots get in their plane. They have to readjust uh, everything to make, you know, uh, they land at the right place. Otherwise, they might go to land at the airport and they might be off a mile or two. I don't know. Things are going, and, you know, they keep denying it, but uh, I don't know. I mean, Antarctica is breaking up. I think we got our guest right here calling in. I was kind of stalling if you didn't notice. Let's see. Hi, Troy. Hi, Gary. Okay, if I can just get you a hold on for a second, I'm doing a little bit of the news, and then we'll be right with you. So, you know, okay. the, you know, with earth changes going on, you know, they're saying now the problem is, you know, like half of the world's species of wildlife are gone. And they, you know, they're blaming it on, well, over logging the trees, Amazon and all that stuff, taking them out. Uh, it, it, right now, I mean, not just that, our air quality is starting to dip a little bit. You can't keep removing all these trees, you know, to make room for whatever they're doing. Uh, you know, in the Amazon, uh, it's, it's, it's scary, you know, and uh, as the temperatures, they they were shocked in the news yesterday. They were saying the temperatures in the oceans were about two degrees warmer than they thought it should be. So, I mean, things are starting to heat up. So, I mean, I don't know, you know, and then some parts of the Antarctica around there, the ocean is naturally getting colder. Anyway, we'll be right on after this with Troy. 
You're listening to my friend Gary Anderson on My Dreams Talk Radio, the best in paranormal radio. Please check out the Night Dreams Talk Radio website at www.nightdreamstalkradio.com. Also, if you want to keep our show free of advertising, just hit the donate button. Give a buck or two. Remember, all prior shows are always free to listen to. We at Night Dreams Talk Radio thank you for your support. Well, Troy, how was the traffic today driving home? Um, not great. I mean, there was some slow traffic, but I made it. Oh, how far How far do you have to travel each day? I take it you must be out on the freeway uh, coming home? I am in actually my girlfriend's house right now. It's quiet. Nobody's here, so I can do the show here with no interruptions. Well, that that helps quite a bit. So, why don't you tell a little bit of, uh, about yourself to the listeners? I mean, what uh, college or community college did you go to, and how did you after that? I got to ask you a question. How did you ever hook up with with uh, Michael W. Hall and the uh, UFO I team? Yes, that is a great story. So I am a graduate from the Evergreen State College from June of this year. Um, I was there for four years. I graduated with a Bachelor's of Arts in Indigenous Cultural Studies with some visual arts in there, too. Um, really, for many years, probably seven or more years, I've been interested in, well... UFOs and paranormal things, as well as other subjects. I've been listening to Coast to Coast for a long time, since I was about 15. I started with different kinds of studies fairly early, I think, in my life. But all throughout my high school and college education, I was interested in and curious, just curious to learn how things work. Now I got to ask you a real question, so, a real quick question here. You will find I'm very bad at interrupting, but that's what I'm supposed to do as a host here. Uh, you mentioned coast to coast, Troy. Now I, I take it yeah. that you, you never, you weren't probably old enough then to count uh, my my friend who passed on Art Bell when he used to do it. He's the one that originally started that whole thing. Yeah, I'm aware of Art and his unfortunate passing earlier this year. Um, yeah, I wasn't old enough to listen while he was doing the show, but I have heard a few of his shows. Well, you know, one thing, if it wasn't for art, let's, let's be honest out here for most of the people, we wouldn't have paranormal that has gone the way it has. We wouldn't be talking about UFOs like we do. We wouldn't be talking about all the strange things in the paranormal. I mean, Art Bell, you know, uh, made that happen. And I don't know if you knew how it happened, but one day, you know, Art was done doing his show. It was a typical, you know, politic, uh, you know, what's going on type of show he was doing out of out of um, Las Vegas. And his friend came in, uh, uh, Lear, uh, and uh, and Lear uh, mentioned, you know, the son of Lear Jets mentioned to him that, uh, well, you know, have you thought about doing this, talking about UFOs? And talking about the paranormal, 
And it really hit Art really hard. And, you know, Art the next day goes up to the station manager and goes, you know what? I want to do this. And they tried it. And it was an instant hit. That's a great story. Oh, yeah. I miss him. I mean, you know, we weren't great friends, but we would communicate off and on. He's the one, you know, I was retired. Uh, I started in broadcasting in 76. I got out of it for a long period of time, then back into it, out of it, into it. Because it's the type of job, you know, it's not the most secure job in the world. But I was retired. And, you know, like about 14, 15 months ago, I get a phone call out of the blue from Art. And he says, sell your motorcycles. You're too old to ride. Get back on the radio. And I said, you know what? I don't think a radio station would hire me at my age to, you know, talk about the paranormal and all that stuff. He goes, no, do it on the Internet. So here I am. Now, we'll we'll talk about you. Okay. I would like to quickly finish how I met Michael W. Hall. Um, I... After I graduated from Evergreen, I reached. I was looking for careers and jobs, so I reached out to um, a lady named Una Drake. She, for many years, has been the director of the Seattle UFO Network, SUFON, and I reached out to her, hoping to get involved in that. She had stepped back, but now I'm learning how to be some of the newer management. Um they weren't having meetings frequently when I reached out to her, but she recommended I also go to the UFO I team, which meets every, it's um, Mondays now, every week in a Denny's in Linwood. So I checked that out. Michael W. Hall is of course the paranormal lawyer and the leader of the UFO I team. So I happened to, walk in on that and sit down in one of their live broadcast meetings on Facebook. Um, they were talking about their upcoming trip to Mount Baker at the time for a pitch pilot episode. They were filming that we hope to create a TV show out of our team, but it was after that that I was in July and then after that, I ended up being able to go with them to Mount Adams in August, late August. And that... Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. That's how the real magic started, which I can get into. 
Oh, yeah. Now, uh, I heard from, you know, because Michael W. Hall is one friendly person. He's a friend of mine, you know. And in fact, he's going to be back on my network starting again this Saturday and uh, talking about UFOs. But from what I gathered uh, talking to him, some strange things happen up the at the mountain. Yeah, they certainly did. Um, I suppose I can start with talking about what actually happened when we went on the trip and how things started. Oh, yeah, please um, do, yeah. On August 25th, I think that was a Thursday or Friday, but August 25th, I went to the East Study Ranch, met up with a bunch of the UFOI team who was already there, and that is where we were going to rendezvous for basically a documentary film that um, Ambition Pictures is putting together, and that documentary will be called UFOs versus Bros and Bigfoot. So that will be interesting when it comes out. But we met up there. I stayed there the night of the 25th. We did a sky watch, of course, at East Study that night. And there was kind of a fantastic sighting that we caught on camera. Unfortunately, I didn't see it. I wasn't on the field at the time. But it was after that that throughout the night I saw three blue flashes of light, which maybe I could touch on later that I've learned more about something they could be. So a joint, we were at Iseti the night of the 25th. Then later on the 26th in the afternoon, um, UFOI team departed Iseti. Um, First, I should probably explain that E-Study stands for Enlightened Contact with Extraterrestrial Intelligence, for those who don't know. So, on the 26th of August, we traveled to a place called Taklak Lake, which was basically the side of the mountain of Mount Adams. Um, I think about the same distance that it is from East study to Mount Adams, from Mount Adams to Taklak Lake. But we traveled there, we set up camp, and I don't recall anything traumatic happening that night, but it was, I believe, the night of August 27th that we did a sky watch at Taklak Lake. And there's a campground there, I think it's a state forest campground or something like that, but we stayed at a couple of their campsites. There was a day use area that we got permission to use at night, and so we pulled a few vehicles in the parking lot there. We walked down a little wooded trail and found this nice little clearing, actually kind of a larger clearing, but by the side of the lake. I'll paint this beautiful picture for everyone's minds. There was a picnic table and then a bunch of open space and this dirt clearing basically went all the way down to, the, of course, the water, the lake shore, sloped down a bit. And so then there's this lake um, 
about the size of a football stadium, maybe. I'm not sure exactly how big it is, but it's a nice sized lake. Now, I got to ask you a question and of there, course, Troy. Yeah. Again, I'm going to be asking you questions as you're, you know, uh, explaining this to people. What was the weather like that night? Clear skies, of course, cold. We were in the mountains. Um, pretty good weather for sky watching at night. There were no clouds or almost no clouds. We had no trouble looking up and seeing stars, and we saw most of the night sky from where we could, where we were. There were trees around us, so behind us, we couldn't see much because it was mostly forest, but it was mostly in front of us where there was the clearing of the lake that we got this beautiful view, not just of the lake, but we saw just an amazing view of Mount Adams. It looked very peaceful, um, snow on it, and Mount Adams not was was not only on the other side of the lake, the reflection of Mount Adams was on the surface of the lake, which was very still, rippling a little bit, but very still. So we got this perfect mirror, almost perfect mirror image of Mount Adams doubling on the lake. And that is pretty much the picture that I used as the Facebook event for those who are on Facebook for this. No. And okay. off to the right no. in the sky to, yeah. of Mount Adams was Mars, just shining beautifully big and bright, and also reflecting on the lake perfectly. Now, was it quiet out when, when you were there, too? I mean, I mean, could you hear, you know, wildlife or anything, or, or crickets or anything, or was it just totally quiet? It was fairly quiet. I think there may have been crickets, but I kind of don't think there were, at least not much. Okay. Um, at, we started around 9 p.m., as I recall, a little after dark. And for a little while, we could hear a few other campers walking around or making noise off in the distance, but... Other than that, not much. It was fairly thick forest. So here's the interesting thing that started this. We set up our equipment, camera equipment, audio, or mostly camera, but I think there was audio from Ambition Pictures there with the camera crew. All over the picnic table. Then there was Michael W. Hall to the left of the picnic table at least from the entrance. And then I was to the left of Michael. I was the closest one sitting in a chair. We brought camping chairs. Um, closest one to the woods off to the left of this clearing. So we were watching the sky. It was almost silent around. We saw some lights on the mountain, just from hikers. I don't think anything anomalous was flashing on the mountain that we could see. Um, that footage is still being reviewed, I think. But the interesting thing is that it wasn't long after we set up that we could hear stick break noises and tree knock sounds 
off to the left of this clearing. I'm pretty sure I heard everything the clearest compared to anyone else. And like there were a lot of little noises, but also big noises, bigger, louder noises that other people of the team could hear, other now, members. Now, isn't that an area, too, where there's been a lot of Bigfoot sightings? Oh, yeah, that is Sasquatch territory. Now, that was not only at East Study, that there have been known to be Sasquatch sightings and footprints, but the woods around there are known to be Sasquatch territory. A lot of Washington State is, a lot of the more rural and wooded areas anyway. And that campground, it was actually the night before that we even had a conversation with a lady who happened to stop by our campground. And she was telling us of some of her experiences previously in that forest and other places she'd camped in the area. And she was just saying that she's had experiences with Sasquatch there. She's seen them, um, mostly impressions of light or like what looks like heat waves, basically their invisibility. She's also felt them directly around her, like even touching her when she was sitting down and just welcoming them peacefully. She described that as heat, but yeah, that forest, which is, the Gifford Pinchot National Forest, um, that's big Sasquatch territory. So I would recommend for anyone who camps there to not only keep their eyes and ears open, but also keep an open mind and be respectful of them. Well, they were probably just as curious about all the campers, you know, as you guys are curious about Bigfoot. And that's probably why you heard the tree knocking and stuff like that. You know, I, you know, years ago when I was a kid, you know, we, my dad was an app very, every weekend we, during the summer, we went camping all through uh, Washington, Idaho, Oregon, and, you know, around Mount Shasta and all that stuff. And, you know, there was times out in the middle of the night, you know, like about 12 o'clock, one o'clock, somewhere around there. Yeah, I remember, and I didn't even know what a Bigfoot back, you know, as a kid. But I would remember, you know, I would hear, like, tree knocking really loud. And, you know, and maybe there was Bigfoot around when, the, you know, we were at the campgrounds. Yeah, now, back to this incident at the lake, at least what we think is a Sasquatch. Um, some of the noises were loud. And what's important to understand is that it wasn't just a short period of time we were hearing this. I think it was about two hours or so that we were there at the lakeside. And the way I heard the noise is that it sounded like it was in one location, I would estimate less than 100 feet from where I was, um, maybe even 50 to 70 feet away. And it was staying in one place. It wasn't an animal coming toward us or moving away from us. It was just sitting there. I think it was observing us. And some of the noises seemed to correspond with 
right after we'd said something funny or right after we said something interesting. So I do think that it was observing us and probably um, getting some humor out of watching us. Probably, you know, just they're inquisitive creatures. Now, didn't some weird things happen to you guys where you were there those, those couple days? Definitely. And that didn't become apparent until um, the next morning. I think it was the morning of August 28th. So we, after a, like two and a half hours or so of sky watching at the lake, it was cold, by the way, super cold, like just above freezing, maybe. Um, so a lot of us were shivering, but because of our dedication to our investigation, we stayed there even though we were slightly uncomfortable and still wanted to try to get footage, but after a while of no significant anomalies that we could see in the sky, then we decided to pack up. I think that was around 1130, 1145. We got in our cars, drove, drove a short distance back to our campsite. And then we started a fire. One of our two members started a fire. There were six of us, as I recall. Um, Michael W. Hall was not at the campfire. He got tired. And so he went to Kevin Beagle's campsite. Kevin is one of our team members. And his campsite, we called it the village because he brought like all kinds of gadgets and a camping trailer and fancy stuff, even a camping toilet or something like that. So Michael was able to hook up a CPAP machine to one of Kevin's many large batteries and things like that. And I think they had a generator too. Anyway, Michael went there early to retire for the night and hook up his CPAP machine. Um, so that was nice for Michael. I think Kevin wasn't at the campfire, but it was myself and about five other teammates who were there, including um, Dan and Josh, who will become significant in this story. They were from Ambition Pictures, the people operating the camera and audio equipment during our investigations. So it was Dan, the main cameraman or the main um, Ambition Pictures guy. He left the campfire first after about 20 or 30 minutes, not too long. So he left to go to his car where he was camping. He actually brought a giant tent, but it turned out to have holes in it. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, 
Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. So it turned into kind of a lake bed in there by itself. So he decided to sleep in his car. Then his son, Josh, followed him a little while later to the car to retire for the night. And now I didn't go through this part of it, but this is just what I recall Dan telling us. But to the best of my memory, Dan said that he had turned on his car for a little bit to turn on the heater and warm up the car, then turned off his car. It was about, by the way, a two-year-old car, um, so fairly new. And so he'd done that a few times throughout the night, turned on the heater, turned off the car, just to keep it warm in there. It was, um, yeah, it was that night. Oh, I won't get into that part. But basically, after a while of talking, we all went to bed, the rest of the campfire. um, It was actually myself and two other women from the team who were up fairly late at the campfire, the last three people there. Um, we had, we actually had a Sasquatch sighting and we heard more tree knock and stick brick sounds at an adjacent campsite, which was unoccupied. So that was interesting. Also, it was a full moon or right after a full moon. So, so you, the so moon was bright, shining you, through the forest. And now, Troy, and, Troy, you said you actually yeah. saw a, a sighting of a Bigfoot? We did. So I'll describe this quickly. Um, is myself, the two other women were off to my left and right. Um, one of them who's a medium and has had many experiences with Sasquatches for many years. She, she and I were the two people who actually saw it. It was basically 12 o'clock, pretty much directly in front of where we were looking or our point of view at the time. Um, toward another campsite that was about 50 or 75 feet away. Um, What I saw is the shadow of this thing, which I think is important by itself, because the moon was generally on the other side of where this thing was, shining through the trees, streaming moonlight, to the trees so you could see moonlight on the ground that's what caught my attention is the large shadow moving across one of these boom beam excuse me beams of moonlight between trees and it was really sam who saw the shadow and the silhouette i might have seen a little of the silhouette but it was especially the silhouette that sam 
the other lady saw. And she, she never talking about it. First of all, we weren't freaked out at all because we knew they were around. And so we were just sitting there, um, letting it be. It was continuing to make noises, of course. Um, we were there with it just watching us for about an hour, hour 45 or so after everyone left. And it was around 2.45, 2.45 in the morning that we decided to disband from the fire and go to our tents. So I went to my tent. Now, I went to my tent to get ready for bed. I was in my tent for a few minutes. And it was strange to me at the time, but I heard someone starting a car at our campsite. I didn't know who would be starting a car. Um, I didn't think of Dan at the time, but it was odd. So then I got out to brush my teeth and then went back in my tent. And while I was brushing my teeth, I saw um, that Dan's car was on. No lights on the inside except a little from the computer monitor, I think. But otherwise, it was all silent all dark except the engine running. And so I didn't think anything of it. Um, but I also noticed that at that time the forest was especially silent other than his car. I could hear nothing. There was no sound except for his car. Um, no people. Well, you know... Uh, which... Troy, you know, a lot of times when, when it goes quiet like that, and especially since you had a sighting of a Bigfoot, and, you know, you heard the knocking before that, you know, earlier that night, you know, a lot of times when a Bigfoot in the area is around, and now I, I've had a lot of people on the show talking about Bigfoot, but it, it's one thing, it, it seems like when a, book, a Bigfoot is in the area, it, it, the forest goes really dead quiet. Yeah, I've heard that too, and that was, I guess, my first direct experience of that kind of silence in the forest. At the time, it was peaceful, um, noticeable, but I didn't feel that I didn't feel that it was anything threatening. So I kind of just let it be, but took mental note of that. I went to bed, I think around 3 a.m. I would have been in my tent to go to bed that night. Um, now, here's the interesting thing. I laid down to go to sleep with blankets over me. And it was right after I laid down to go to sleep that I actually started hearing noises outside of my tent. I think Dan's car was still running. Um, I think the first time I'd gone to my tent after the campfire, he tried to start the car and it didn't work, and a few minutes later he had gotten it to work. Like the battery was dead the first time he started to 
start it. Um, so that will become relevant soon. And I laid down to go to sleep, and I started hearing noises. I could tell it was on the ground, but it lasted for well over 15 minutes, I'd say, while I was trying to fall asleep. It sounded like shuffling on the forest floor, like feet, and maybe even bigger than human feet, just because of the noise of it. But it sounded like it was one spot in our campsite that this thing was staying, not moving around or not passing by. But um, I'm trying to remember how this went. There was, I could hear it was in our campsite, not too far from my tent, but I could also hear kind of an echoing, which I've heard is fairly similar, or fairly common for Sasquatch sightings that make noises. And you can hear where they are approximately, but they also make it echo in a way that camouflages their precise location. And this shuffling was like a sound. It wasn't like one foot after the other. It was like one foot and then the other falling right behind it for some reason. So that was interesting. And besides that, I'd had my eyes open for a little bit just listening to this thing. And I didn't see any shadows or lights outside of my tent, but I did see like sparkly lights in my tent, like directly above me, which I can explain after I talk about the incident itself. So I went to bed. I thought I had a fairly normal sleep that night, nothing noticeable, nothing out of the ordinary. I seemed to be in the same place I went to bed in, same position, um, nothing was moved. So I got out, joined the rest of the group in the morning, the morning of the 28th of August. And it was then that we started kind of a casual morning circle talking about the previous night. We call it a debriefing in our team. And it was in that morning debriefing that it was Dan, the director of Ambition Pictures, who said that he couldn't start his car last night. And that was anomalous because it was a fairly new car, as I said, about two years old. So the battery was not old. One of the mechanics and engineers in our group he said that he changes his car battery every seven years, no matter what, just because that's the way he's learned to do it, and that's about the life of a car battery anyway. So there's no, seemed to be no reason that his car battery should have died, and the way he was describing this, it was as if his car battery actually died completely which is odd because then he was able to turn it on again after that without a charge. It just started on its own. 
I don't recall exactly what Dan said, but I think it was between about one and ten minutes between the time the first time he started to start his car in the middle of the night and it wouldn't work and then when he was able to actually get it started again to turn the heat on again. His son Josh didn't report any anomalies. He'd slept all throughout the night. Um Except here's the interesting thing. This is about Michael and Kevin that also corresponded to around that time. So as I said, Kevin brought a bunch of gadgets and external large batteries for charging devices. And so Michael was sleeping with a CPAP machine. Um, the way I heard the story is that Sam, who was in their large pop-up tent that they had. She had woken up a little after three, as far as we figured out, to try to wake up Kevin and Michael because she had started hearing a buzzing. Uh, she thought it was the Sasquatch imitating the noise of the CPAP machine dying or the CPAP machine dying itself. I think it was actually the CPAP machine dying, but... Then somehow Sam went back to sleep, even though she was wide awake. And then it was after that that Michael woke up because his heat machine was actually off or it had just shut off. And it warned him, it alerted him that it had shut off. So then Michael woke up Kevin, who told him that he would have the Batteries switched over in a few minutes. And Michael went out to use the toilet just for a couple of minutes um, right outside their tent. And it should have only taken about two or three minutes for that. But then Michael came back. He said he distinctly remembers getting back in the tent where they were sleeping. And he didn't remember any missing time or uh, um, incidents at the time. It was later when they were discussing this the next day that they were called what had happened or something interesting. So Michael's CPAP machine has a timestamp thing on it, so it um, set a timestamp when it shut off, which was at 3.15 in the morning. Um... Kevin had asked Michael what time it is when they woke up, and Michael said 3.15. Then Michael got back in the tent from using the toilet, and then for some reason, um, one of the two asked the other what time it is, and the other one answered 4.15. And then they went back to sleep. They didn't think anything of it at the time. They didn't think about it. And that's the interesting part. That's how we scientifically and with solid timestamp and electronic evidence found out that we had missing time. 
Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Or at least some of us did about an hour of missing time. And that's where this investigation really started. So there was somehow an hour between 3.15 and 4.15 in the morning that seemed to be missing that nobody remembers, or at least Kevin and Michael don't remember why that would have been. They weren't awake for an hour, or didn't think they were. That is strange. It is. And so then it was after that that we had spent most of the next day actually talking about what had happened, running through circumstances just to try to eliminate logical bits of evidence or logical things that could have happened naturally. But most of the things that we'd talked about seemed to point to something truly strange happening. And for a while, we'd thought that it was mostly Sasquatch involved because we thought that maybe it was the Sasquatch that could have turned off Dan's car battery for a short time and even shut off um, the CPAP machine. By the way, the CPAP machine was hooked up to one large battery. And Kevin told Michael the next day that that battery was only 50% drained. So that battery wasn't dead. There was nothing wrong with the battery. Now, I got to ask you. there shouldn't have been. Ask you a question. You know, I, I don't think Bigfoot could do it, but... Do you think maybe there was some alien content uh, contact around that area? You know, I mean, it's that's an area that's very well known for UFOs and stuff like that. Indeed it is, and that's why we went there for this documentary filming, and that's a good question, which I will get into. Um, uh, we we got to go a little bit faster, though. So, uh, you know, so... Okay. So... I think it was the next day that we actually found out that a number of other campers in the area also happened to experience battery failures overnight, which we didn't talk to them because we had to leave, some of us anyway, had to leave pretty quickly the next day, but other campers experienced battery failures. And during our investigation the next day of what could have happened, We'd taken out compasses. There were four of us, three with normal, old-fashioned magnetic compasses, 
There's one guy with an electronic compass from his motorcycle, which didn't seem to work well anyway. But the three of us with magnetic compasses stood at three different parts of the campsite, around the campsite perimeter. And Michael told us to point where our compasses were saying north is. And the three of us had pointed in different directions. It was shortly after that that we figured out that Dan's car actually had some sort of magnetic charge to it. So we were walking around the car for a while. We got this on camera too, like hours of this. Um, we were walking around the car with compasses, trying to figure out where there could be a magnetic charge coming from the car that could be interfering with the compasses. And of course, we considered there were mechanics on the team, so we considered the possibility that there could have been um, magnetic interference from the magnets in the car, from the motors and the other computerized now, things in the car. I'm going to interject. The, 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 I know a lot about cars and electronics. Believe me about electronics. Mm-hmm. Anything in the car like that, if it did, it would you'd ha- you'd have to be within a foot of the car or closer to get any type of reading. Seriously, the car, it, you know, is going to be shielded with all the metal. Now, what I got a gut feeling, you know, because of the loss of time, you might have all suffered a loss of time. Well, the people sleeping wouldn't realize it, but maybe you guys had a um, uh, well a, a visit from something that uh, was checking you out. I'm not talking Bigfoot. You know, like, again, I was stressing that area is very famous for UFO sightings. And actually, isn't there a lake near there, too? Yeah, we were camping right next to Lake Taklok. Yeah. And, you know... Um, which you, is near Mount Adams. Yeah, you know, I don't know the depth of it, but, you know, like, a lot of UFOs been sighted going into water and going into lakes and stuff like that, you could have been visited by, you know, some strangers from uh, from out there, you know, and that's why you guys suffered the loss of time, the magnetics, uh, you know, uh, different readings, uh, you know, the uh, just a lot of things. For a battery, okay, a battery to fail. Now, you were talking about how cold it was. You know, if your battery is like probably four or five years old, you know, it's a good chance when it gets really cold, the battery could uh, you know, stop, you know, producing any current. But then as the temperature starts warming up past a certain level, then, you know, the battery will start flowing current again and work. But the with your compasses, what you're saying was happening, the loss of time with Michael W. Hall, which I trust 100%, and uh, some of this other stuff you were talking about, I got a strange feeling you guys had an encounter and you didn't realize it. I do believe so. And so here's, I'll just jump to basically the end of that magnetized car investigation. Um, through different methods, we did determine that Dan's car had been magnetized unnaturally. So it wasn't the ground. We tested the ground where the car was. It wasn't the ground. There was no charge, no anomalous charge in the ground. So it was his car that we had determined had a binary 
or a polar magnetization to it, positive at one end and negative at the other, like a bar magnet. And since then, we've talked to him since then, and we've heard that he has even gone to the, I think it was a Nissan or whatever other dealership the car came from. No other cars there were doing the same thing. And even since then, he's continued to have magnetic charge or something to his car and it might even be getting worse or causing problems. I don't know what the current situation is, but it's interesting because it's been continuing, which means that it's not just one anomalous incident. It's something that actually did something, something with a powerful electrical charge that it was exposed to. Now, there was some talk about stories in our group um, about UFO sightings and incidents involving automobiles. And I don't know if the car was actually moved or if it just got charged by a craft, but we don't think it was moved anyway. But there have been many accounts, many incidents with... um, flying saucers and other crafts of vehicles not only being lifted up or being set down by these tractor beams from the crafts, but um, sometimes even taken aboard, sometimes taken off planet or somewhere. And weird stuff has always happened to these cars too. Of course, you can't, you can imagine that would be a normal thing for a car to be, or at least if it did go on on an ET ship, there would probably be something different about something about it when it comes back. Well, I got to say something. I got to say something, you know, about it with cars and stuff like this. Now, back in the early or mid-70s, me and my ex-wife at the time, or wife at the time, we were driving back from North Carolina, and we got into New Mexico, going through the desert. Okay? It was probably 11, 12, 1 o'clock at night. I can't even remember. It's been, that's years ago. But I, you know, they didn't have a speed limit. Or if they did, it was like 105 was the top end. Seriously, it was really crazy. So I was, you know, with my, my car, I had GTO. I was going as fast as I could go, you know, uh, enjoying the road at night. And all of a sudden, the whole area around my car and inside my car got, like, brighter than daylight. And I, I thought to myself, okay, well, it must be a, 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 a police co- a helicopter or something. I must, you know, they're going to pull me over or do something. So I pulled off the side of the road. And I got out of the car. And, and, and I stood up there, and it was bright as daylight, if not brighter. It was where it was hurting my eyes. And and it, it seemed like forever, but probably with maybe five, ten seconds, it was poof, it was gone. And I got back in my car, and unfortunately, my wife was still there. But I didn't think anything of it for years, other than I thought it was, you know, I will say, after being in the military, I know what helicopters sound like. There was absolutely no sound in that desert. When I pulled off and shut my mm-hmm. engine off, there was nothing, not a bit of sound. Now, I have to say, maybe a thousand feet Back on the road, there was another car stopped, but I didn't bother talking to anybody. You know, I just took off and left. Well, years later, 
uh, I, you know, I went into, because I was having some health issues. I had MRI, I had x-rays done. And then I was going back to the doctor and the doctor's head nurse came up to me and she goes, uh, where did you get that uh, piece of metal in your, uh, in your spine? And I go, what piece of metal? Well, did, did you have surgery done? And I go, no, I had my tailbone broken and they put it together, but this is like almost the middle of the back. Okay. Nothing was ever done there. There was no scars, no nothing. And you know, I kind of, now I figured maybe she was mixing me up with another patient. And then, you know, I get in to see the, the oh. surgeon and he goes, well, you got this piece of metal in your spine and it's, you know, this big. And I'm going, well, I never had any surgery there. And he goes, well, I don't see any, any marks of anything. No, you know, anything, puncture marks, scars or nothing. It's nothing there. And I said, okay, well, you know, um, you know, is it going to do any damage? And he goes, well, older you get, you're going to get arthritis around it. You might have disc problems. I said, okay, can we remove it? And he goes, no, there's scar tissue. If we do that, you, you maybe never walk again. Well, you know, it upset me for a day or two, uh, Troy. But back here, oh, maybe eight years ago, one of my sons got in trouble where I had to go for a year to court with him in Pierce County. Uh, you know, to when he, you know, through the courthouse, I would go in the courthouse line. You know, they had the metal detectors and all that stuff. It would go off. So, you know, here I don't have my wallet. I don't have my, you know, anything on me. They, you know, on a big guy, you know, they say, take off your belt. I take my belt off. They run their wands and stuff. and It, it, it go off in the middle of my back. That went on for a year. And I don't know how it happened. Then, when I was talking to Michael uh, W. Hall here back, oh, maybe four or five months ago, we were talking because Timothy Collin, he he was uh, abducted. Uh, Roger Lear uh, was a surgeon that removed the implant out of him. But we were talking about all this stuff. And then it dawned on me that night in that desert, when I pulled off because that bright light Maybe we were abducted and we don't know about it because, you know, at that time I didn't have my car, didn't have a clock radio in it. You know, I I didn't, I didn't, I never like wearing a watch. I didn't have a watch. So, I mean, you know, and I never thought anything of it too after I was talking to Michael W. Hall that how could that thing be in my, in my back, in my spine? And that's why I'm saying like with you guys, you're there at that uh, campground. And some of the, the things were, you know, his machine quit working. Uh, the battery was at 50%. The car had problems. The magnetic problems tells me that that had to have something like a big charge. Now, that would have been maybe a UFO hovering by it, you know, above it uh, or whatever, you know. And you guys might have uh, all been abducted and you guys don't even realize it. Well, I believe some of us were, actually, and I can talk about that. Um, I'd also like to comment on the bright lights with no sound that have been involved in what we've seen. Um, That night, the night of August 27th to 28th, it wasn't at Taklock Lake, but actually on Mount Adams, where there was a team of Ambition Pictures camera crew people and um, I forget who else but I think there were some other people 
not with Ambition Pictures with them, but there's an Ambition Pictures camera crew doing this uh, documentary filming. So they had a bunch of heavy camera equipment and they hiked up the mountain, which took longer than usual just because of that. But it was that night, we think also around three in the morning or so, that Daniel, one of the other cameramen for Ambition Pictures on that. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Team, he woke up and he said he saw a big, bright, flashing light above his tent. Now, the interesting detail about this thing that he saw is that his tent is green and he said it was white light. So, now, of course, you could estimate that a light would be white if it's just really bright anyway, no matter what it's shining through, but that, I think, was connected to what happened to us. Now, I've recovered some of my memories from that incident itself, that missing time incident, and there's even been other stuff that has happened since then. Our... uh, I guess we call, could call her the resident hypnotist, Mary Kennedy, has regressed not only myself, but recently Michael W. Hall about what we remember, what our subconscious minds remember of what happened. And if you want, I could get into that and then other phenomena. Yeah, go ahead. Let's, let's get into that because, you know, the show is all about UFOs tonight and Anything going, you know, about any strange things pertaining to that, we we want the listeners to know. Okay. Um, this will be interesting because I'm very glad that I get to be your first UFO guest for this month and set the bar because this case is very strange. So what I remember, I guess I can start with that first night of the main incident that we figured out what I remember through the hypnosis and even since then I've recovered memories. My body wasn't moved, my physical body, but I remember having left my physical body basically in my astral body I left. And I was outside my tent. I recall having been told or somehow knowing that 
my physical body would be safe. And I think it was actually that there was a Sasquatch being that I saw with my astral body at our campsite that was the protector of myself and maybe other people who had their bodies at the campsite. And I remember, I don't think I was led by an entity. I was just attracted to go toward the road. There was a road that passed directly by our campsite. So I either walked or floated or however that works. I went to the road where there's also kind of a clearing area where there's open sky a little bit more than the rest of the area. And it was there that there was a black triangle just hovering, sort of a large black triangle craft as big as could fit in that space anyway, or seemed to. And I don't remember how I got in there, but I remember just being on the road and then a second later being in the craft. And here's the interesting part. I I don't remember a lot of detail of inside the craft, or at least not contour-wise. Everything was flat, uh, mostly featureless, all of the tools and displays and the things they need in the craft are built into the walls. They hide in the walls. And then I think it's similar to self-activating technology, but if you need something from the craft, you can communicate with it through consciousness. I remember just doing this. It's so simple and fun. You can just communicate with consciousness. You can from inside that black triangle, see everything outside the craft, um, either through monitors or somehow just be connected with maybe the craft itself and you can see what's outside it. I don't know how their technology really works, but it's fun. And so on board, as soon as I got on board, I was welcomed by a mantis a large green praying mantis bigger than a human. Can you describe what and, it looked? Can you describe kind of what it looked besides like, as a mantis? Can you describe a little bit of the features and stuff like that? What was it wearing and all that stuff? It wasn't wearing anything. It was just a large green praying mantis. And this is an element, uh, an entity anyway, that's common in a lot of these UFO encounters and abductions, these praying mantis are fairly common or somewhat common as an entity. Now this mantis welcomed me. There was, I remember at least one, maybe more, maybe a few shorter grays on the ship. Um, of course, the light in the ship was fairly bright. It was diffused lighting, not like one light source, but just light coming from the walls. And so this mantis, this is just, remember, from what I recalled during the hypnosis, this is, this was actually a bit surprising during the hypnosis that I recalled this, but this mantis told me its name, and it's, I could say its name, its name is Durian, and that was a different one than I was familiar with because I was already familiar with one of the other mantis beings that is not 
on Earth right now. It's on what I call the satellite ship, which is actually the first thing I remembered before the hypnosis even. And the so that night I actually went up off planet to the satellite ship. The regression took over an hour and we didn't get around to actually getting to my off planet memories, but I've recovered some of that myself naturally or by myself. And I keep trying to remember what the ship looks like. I'm not entirely certain, but I keep feeling like it's a giant sphere or spherical in some way. I remember being inside it, and the whole time I was inside the what I call the satellite, because it's like a giant mothership orbiting Earth right now, um, communicating with the other things on Earth from this one voyage I can talk about. But I remember what I call the command center, or at least that's the title I think is most appropriate for it. Large curved windows. I guess you can think of something similar to the inside of the Death Star command center from Star Wars, if you're trying to imagine this. Just colors were different. Yeah, fairly large, open space, um, kind of high ceiling, but not like huge high ceiling, but curved windows. Outside those windows, I could see the Earth and Moon itself, which I still remember fairly clearly. And I don't have a lot of detail of what happened in the command center. I don't remember any other beings in there except... Just throughout the whole time I was on the ship, I remember this feeling of having a taller being looking over me, which I think was the mantis that I was already familiar with. Her name is Kartana, and she had contacted me telepathically earlier in the year through related to a, a number of visions and experiences that I had um, I recently recalled or kind of closed my eyes to relax and recall this somewhere detail of conversations that had taken place on the craft with, um, I think it's one of the gray beings, one of the shorter grays. His name is Amake. And he was conversing with me, asking me about my family and um, other things. I think he also told me about, at least from this memory, I seem to um, get more detail on the plan that they have, which I consider it to be from their arrival in August onward. Um kind of a new paradigm, and that's a three-step plan. I'm not sure that I should go into heavy detail about that now. I guess I could highlight it. The three steps of it that I could title is called, or at least this is what I got from this memory, it's called Propagation 
which is actually their word, or at least a word they seem to have sent to me. I didn't, I wasn't familiar with that word much before this incident. But propagation, which is partially physical for some of them on Earth, but also energetically and mentally propagating the idea of the existence of extraterrestrial life on Earth and that has been interacting with Earth for millions of years. They want people to know that. They want people to wake up to that for what's coming after that. So there's propagation. Then after that is... I guess you could call it disclosure as the second phase. And the message I got from that is a little different than the government disclosure that most people are pushing for, or so many people these days are pushing for. This disclosure, they're not really concerned with the U.S. government or other world governments so much. These beings are, from my understanding, aligned with the Galactic Federation, so they have their own laws and their own procedures they can follow and morals. And so this disclosure is more like um, heightening the rate of contact with humans, increasing the rate of contact with humans so that not only is there physical but also more mental contact with humans who are open and even some who are originally believers. So that's to kind of build up to something like a critical mass of humans on Earth who are even open to believing in their existence. And then after there's a critical mass or something like that, I'm not sure if there will be an event directly because of that, but the third phase of their plan, which I think will take years still unfolding, is something like integration, which will probably be a while at the current state of, of how the world is, but integration with humans and humans integrating with extraterrestrials, all races, whether they look like us or whether they look like greys or mantis or the benevolent reptilians or any others, which there are indeed many, from well, my understanding at this point. Well, Troy, i got to ask you a question. Now, I come to a conclusion you know, I've had some scientists on my show. We've done a lot of talking about it. I got a funny feeling this earth has been rebooted at least two or three times where, you know, something happened where it took out all life and life either came back one way or another or helped with, you know, from, uh, well, aliens, for example. But the reason why I'm saying this, you know, the Sphinx. Okay, mm -hmm. for years they, they thought the wear marks on the back of the, the Finks was created by sand blowing against it. 
Well, they just now, well, in the past year, came to a conclusion with testing and all that stuff that the wear marks on the back of the Finks was not created from sand blowing against it. They figure it was underwater, under an ocean. And that means that at one point, you know, here this was built, then an ocean uh, was there, and then the ocean disappeared, and here's the Finks yet. And that tells us that's way before any civilization of humans. And, you know, when you go back into, you know, even prehistoric man in caves, the, the, the drawings on the caves that survived showing like men flying or men wearing like a funny helmet and, uh, you know, like uniform type of thing. This is prehistoric. Humans are the first, you know, uh, where they were smart enough to be able to draw the stuff they saw seen. Yeah, I don't think it was their imagination because those type of uh, cave drawings have been found in so many different places. Tell- Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Tells me that we've been visited a long time ago. Now, the issue what I have, okay, yes, you, you might have been in communication with a alien species of one kind, but I feel there's so many of them out there. You know, the universes out there are so vast. It doesn't end. There's not a brick wall stopping. So, I mean, you know, civilizations from other planets could be coming down here on a regular basis and saying, hey, where's these signals coming from, uh, from this lonely small planet? But then you get into the cattle mutilations. Then, I, you know, one of my guests was with the uh, uh, CIA I had on. Uh, used to be with the CIA, and he sent me pictures of human mutilations, like in South America, uh, through the Amazon, uh, all this stuff, done laser accuracy. They, you know, the removal of certain, the same thing like with the cattle, you know, their tongue being removed, their sexual organs being removed, and some other, their hearts being removed. The same thing with human beings found the same way, not a bit of blood around them, not nothing, no signs of any uh, struggle. And, and and that is telling me that there's all different type of species coming and checking us out. And yeah, you know, they could be friendly ones, you know, that want to mix in with the human race. Then there's other ones I think maybe uh, they're not so friendly uh, and they might have other motives and with humans and and again they might be taking certain things for cloning i don't know mm-hmm. yeah definitely that's going on and um unfortunately for the human mutilations anyway which um i don't know a lot about but i've heard of something that i've heard from our team members or at least one of them who is a propulsions engineer about the mutilations is that it's not so much, at least I don't think it's laser technology. I think it's something else we don't understand yet. No, it's beyond beyond laser technology. Yeah. These animal mutilations 
actually these organs that have been taken from animals are done with not cutting, but separating cells, like cutting, like the division is between cells or um, separation is between the cells, not actually breaking the cells at all, which is incredible. We don't have the te that technology that most of us know of. Now, I heard a report from Linda Moulton Howe recently. This was, I think, back in the 70s. Um, she was talking with a sheriff who was investigating this one certain cow mutilation. And they found this, or this veterinarian came out to this site, and they reached in the carcass and... I don't want to get into too much graphic detail, but basically the veterinarian concluded that the heart was missing, except the strange part is that the pericardium was still completely intact inside of the animal. No holes, no incisions, no punctures. Pericardium, which is kind of like an organ and a barrier around every mammal's heart was completely intact, which means that they somehow have the technology to not only separate organs that they want from the rest of the bodies, but also somehow remove them, like teleporting maybe outside the creature. Who knows what they want? I've heard that some of these greys and maybe other beings or even using some of the soft tissue organs for food as a food source on this planet while they're here. Well, there are is... many theories, although that's not what I'm planning on talking about in depth tonight. No, we don't have much more time either. Uh, but I will say this, Timothy Cullen, again, he was the one that was abducted and Dr. Roger Relier, uh removed the implant out of him. But, you know, he got into, you know, this type of thing after that happened to him. And he got into some of these cattle mutilations, you know, going to where they were. And he went to this one ranch where there was, it snowed, okay? And the farmer uh, or the rancher woke up and here his prize bull, it was worth like five or $10,000, right? Is laying dead. Okay, now he's freaked out. He calls Timothy Collin. Timothy Collin comes out there. The, the sheriff comes out there. The veterinarians come out, you know, and all that stuff. The same thing, okay? The heart was removed. The sexual glands were removed. A couple other things were removed. Not a bit of blood in the, the animal. Not a bit of blood around the animal at all. Uh, it, it was no signs where the animal, you know, was like, you know, there's his footprints. There it's laying dead. And all the stuff was removed during the night. Now, there's no predators that's going to be able to do that. There's no insects that can do that. So, I mean, there, things are going mm -hmm. on. So, I mean, you know, that's scary. And then you look at all the people who go out for a ride or go somewhere in the forest and just totally disappear. Now, I will say Mary Joyce runs a reporting center just like, like uh, Peter Davenport does. But she does it out of uh, uh, North Carolina. And she covers Bigfoot and UFOs and Earth you know, changes. And she swears up and down. There's a secret base there in North Carolina and that there is aliens working with our government. And these are type of the aliens that 
basically are not friendly towards humans and that uh, they are cannibals. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's... Yeah, I've heard oh, that. Now, that's scary. Um, what I have to say about that is that I'm aware of many ET races. Some look like insects, some reptiles, some hybrids, even avians, which the blue avians I've heard of, they're all benevolent as far as I understand. They're humanoids. There's all kinds of ET beings. And I believe, and through personal experience, I've found that there's both good and bad ETs or benevolent and malevolent. Just like there are so many different kinds of humans. There are criminals, there are murderers, rapists, cannibals, um... There are all kinds of people these days, many good people too, um, healers and basically the ET world or the, I guess you could call it the universe really, but all of the ET races that are out there have their own groups and factions and um, divisions within it that have so many different motives and missions well you're forgetting you're forgetting one major thing troy okay we as humans right we we grow up with compassion and caring and loving okay now we're Mm -hmm. looking at our intelligent level now let's put it this way if if somebody is capable to go through the solar system from many many light years away they're going to be way more advanced than us so Maybe their ideas of compassion, because they grew up, or however how they they formed, is going to be different than how we formed on this planet, and what we gone through. So that maybe some of those species out there don't feel like what we feel. They don't feel love. They don't feel compassion, and they don't understand us. And one thing you also have to understand, right? Do you feel bad when you walk down a flight of stairs and if you accidentally stepped on a bug, you don't even pay attention. You're not looking down on the ground, right? It avoids stepping on a ant, are you? You're not. You're just walking down the stairs. You, you know, you're not. It doesn't concern you. They're an insect. Now, they could look at us basically as the same thing. Just think about that. They're maybe a million years ahead of us or, or whatever. You know, we're nothing more to them. Then that bug you stepped on going uh, to walk to your car that morning. That can definitely be true for some of them. Um, I guess at this time what I've what I believe is that of course there are different species like insect, reptile, and mammal, ETs like on Earth, but out there and each kind has its own temperament towards certain kinds of emotions or certain kinds of behaviors. Well, you Typically the reptiles that yeah. we know of have been more malevolent and some of them have um, even awakened past that. But I've learned that the mammals especially are the ones that are most apt to have kindness and compassion and... Um, 
healing abilities and caring. Well, the caring part. No, that doesn't. I, I, I got to interject again here, okay? I know you're young. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm in my mid 60s, okay? But I remember growing up watching Donna Reed's show, Leave It to Beaver. Fathers knows best, right? And it all showed, you know, uh, you know, uh, a family, how each family, uh, you know, operated as a, fi- a family, how they loved each other, how they cared about other people, how they respected people. You know, it, it, the generation from the 50s to the 60s, you know, was completely different than the 70s and 80s. And you start looking now, okay, when I grew up, okay, I was born in 1952. When I grew up, I knew everybody. My parents knew everybody up and down. We lived in Seattle. Everybody up down the block. We were all friends. We know each other's phone numbers. We, you know, we'd have barbecues in the summertime together. You know, uh, if one of the neighbors had a problem, we'd be over there helping them, you know. And, and, and things started changing in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And now you, most people don't care about your neighbor next door living to you. You don't care. You care less. People have lost that. And look how many years that has been from the 50s to the 60s, 70s, even going back in the 40s and the 30s, you know, other than, you know, some weird things that happened in the 30s and 40s I don't want to get into. But people have changed in a very short period of time. You know, honestly, I don't care about the neighbor living behind me or next to me. They don't care about me. But I didn't grow up that way. Now, you figure that in a a short span of what, 50 years or 55 years or 80 or 90 years. And you go back even farther. People, as we move forward in time, are losing that compassion, that love and caring. And that's what's scary. So that's when I get to the point when we get into a civilization really far advanced. They might not have those feelings because you don't probably have the same feelings I had as a kid. And at your age, I mean, that's each generation has happened. So now let's move uh, with the uh, uh, aliens, for example, that are so far ahead of us. They they probably don't have any of these emotions that we have other than what they can pull when they abduct somebody. And that's another reason why they might be abducting people, too, just to find out what makes us tick. Some of that is true, definitely. Um, I can say that for the most part, the beings in this case that I've dealt with are benevolent and have been kind to me. I went up astrally. I wasn't taken physically or really against my will, as far as I recall, and there was a lot, um... A lot that that I'm just beginning to remember, really, that I agreed to or said because I was in that kind of 5D astral state when I was off planet. But specifically the mantis beings, I recall, and have even since experienced them more and more being highly loving, caring, compassionate beings who really don't want to hurt anyone. They're very concerned for my well-being and everyone else's. Now, the thing about the greys is strange because, as I said before, within every species, every being is not the same. There's 
like every soul has its own personality and there are also groups that could be more malevolent or benevolent than others. Now, sometimes the greys come off as being mean or harsh or cold-blooded and sometimes they come off as being, sometimes the same ones even come off as being highly loving and compassionate and caring. Um, it's kind of weird. I guess there are different species, so we might not even be able to fully understand why that is, but... I don't know. I've heard one perspective that that could actually be a sense of humor. They could be fairly caring for us and kind to us and don't want to hurt us really, but amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals from courses to help you attain or retain certification to individualized coaching services to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen management concepts optimizes your professional development online in person individually or groups it's training that's measurably better Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Sometimes they could even get a bit of humor and entertainment and enjoyment out of watching us suffer just a little bit. Well, I got to say something. Now, One some of, of them, I got I to gotta say, Troy, you got to let me talk here in between, too, Okay. But I'm going to say this. Mm-hmm. One of my guests wrote a book about owls. Now, he was a or is a game warden. And, you know, during our interview, we were talking about, you know, uh, aliens and stuff like that. Well, you know, one night he was in his bedroom, you know, and he was just about ready to go to bed. He didn't have his curtains drawn because he lived in an area that he didn't have to worry about peeping toms. All of a sudden, he swears he saw a group like three or four grays walking right you know, towards him and, and coming into his, you know, bedroom. And he swears he was awake. And then all of a sudden he didn't remember anything at all. Then all of a sudden, you know, being a game warden, all of a sudden he started seeing owls like mad. I mean, every time he would go out, there would be groups of owls around him. And which was highly unusual. But he wrote a book on it, you know, and he didn't associate to We Talked. Those owls could have been implanted in his mind because, you know, being a game warden, they came in and read his mind, right? And maybe the guy had a fatuation with owls, right? So every time he would go out and when he would see a group of owls, which was kind of weird in the first place, uh, I explained to him, I said, you know, they might not be owls. Those could be, you know, the the grays, you know, that uh, when you see the grays, they now implanted in your mind that you don't see them, you see the owls. And that kind of, you know, really kind of shook the guy up. 
So I, you know, I do think they have those type of uh, capabilities to not brainwash you, but put things into your mind. Uh, naturally they must because a lot of people have been abducted, you know, only remember little bits and pieces or they don't know anything at all. The loss of time. And then there's certain people, you know, it do remember. Now I, I don't know if you were astral ta- uh, taken up, you could have been, you know, in bed, sl- sound asleep. And all of a sudden they decided, you know, uh, to, uh, take you on board, uh, a UFO. Now I got to ask you a question. Did this happen before? you went to the mountain or did it start happening after the mountain? The astral. Right. The, 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 the visits. Um, yeah, the, the trip to Mount Adams was my first real anomalous missing time and assuming alien abduction case. Now I don't call it abduction. I prefer to use the word contact, but I was, the team member, I think there may have been one more or one other team member who went up astrally. Um, however, I only remember Michael W. Hall with me off planet clearly right now. Um, and I've had another, at least one other contact since the Mount Adams incident that was definitely astral. Because one morning I had earlier or early much earlier before I would usually wake up, I sat up in my bed, um, looked around at my bedroom and had the thought that I had just come back from somewhere. Then I went back to sleep and it was a number of hours later that I actually woke up and remembered that. So then it was a couple of days later that I chose to tune in and chose to remember what happened. And again, that was astral. Um, It's not something I can really control. I'm not able at this point to walk out of my body astrally for astral projection like some people can, but so far all of my... uh, Troy, how do you know this is astral? How do you know that when you're not in bed, you're actually being abducted? Yeah, I mean, they're transporting your body, you know. Uh, I mean, again, the missing time at the at the campsite, all this stuff. I mean, you know, like with me, with that, with my trip through the desert, you know. I, I didn't realize it here too recently, you know, that piece of metal in my back. You know, I was standing outside, but then, you know, the car. How do I know I, mean, I wasn't abducted, time stood still, they put me back, and, you know, I continued on. Same with my ex-wife at that time. I mean, it sounds like this all started from after the mountain. So maybe, have you talked to any of the other uh, UFO IT members? Is anybody else experiencing this t- same type of thing? I have been in contact with the team regularly, and... um. As far as I know, nobody else has been, well, actually I suspect, or it's apparent that Michael has been contacted since. So the way we figured, or the way that seems to be, is that he has this big watch that he wears, and it's one of the watches that has those glow-in-the-dark dots and spots in it. So he's found that it, goes dark after about half an hour 
not being exposed to light. So this happened also in the Not Adams incident. It wasn't just the CPAP machine that recorded the 315, but um, he woke up and noticed that at the time his watch was glowing brightly, which was odd because that suggests that maybe he was, he might've even been taken before 315, maybe even again after, we're not sure, or somehow he was exposed to extremely bright light. We would have to because his watch, I'm, during I'm, his sleep. Yeah, that watch, I know what type of watch it has. Phosphorus paint, okay? It absorbs the light. Like if you go in and hold it up to a light bulb, it charges it, and about mm-hmm. 20, 30 minutes later, it starts getting dimmer and then it goes out. So, you know, being dark for a long period of time, and all of a sudden you wake up and it's bright, he had to be, you know, not an astral. Uh, he had to have been abducted then, or something had to go on, or whatever happened with that car, it got magnetized like you're talking about. Something strange happened. And now you're telling me you started having these astral experiences since then. I, I really think what you need to do, okay, and it doesn't cost much, or if you got a laptop there, Record yourself at, as you're sleeping at night for a week or two or three. I don't, I don't know how often this happens to you, but it, it doesn't cost you anything. Record yourself sleeping at night, and then you know periodically go through it and speed through it and see all of a sudden if you're not in your bed for a little while, or if if all of a sudden that air that that night you're recording it it goes blank for for no reason for a period of time, or or the recording is deleted for some reason. I'll probably start doing that just to see what happens anyway. Um, I've been meaning to, but I haven't gotten around to that. Um, One quick thing I wanted to touch on is that Michael recently had another incident of waking up in the middle of the night and his watch was again glowing brightly hours after he went to bed. So that indicates that, again, after the Mount Adams incident, he was contacted or exposed to bright light. I think he was contacted, and I think there's a certain relationship that each person has with the ETs and or certain groups you can develop a relationship with. Mine, I can get into why I think this is, but mine, I am convinced, is astral so far, at least with the direct contact. Michael's, for some reason, is physical. I think they're monitoring him, monitoring me. They've been, I think, aware of me for years. I've had dreams over a number of years of, I don't remember details specifically, but just dreams of greys and um, benevolent ETs, but not being off-planet, just dreams of them. Um, There is a definite difference between how I feel with my memories that have been in my body awake or astral or dreaming. I think the astral and dreaming is kind of similar in the feeling of the memories come through clearly a lot of the memories 
but it's just a different tone to it, kind of a different knowingness, whether I'm in my body or awake. Now, I haven't had any bruises or marks on my body. I've been checking that. I haven't had anything show up on my body anomalous. Now, Michael did. He talked about this live during one of our meetings, or multiple meetings, actually. And shortly after Taklak Lake, shortly after he left the campground, he noticed that he had three little dots on his left wrist. And those, he took a picture of it. Those three little dots just happened to, he noticed them anyway after he left the lake. I think it was from the Mount Adams incident that those dots showed up. And what's interesting is that all three of those dots is where hair follicles are, but they're definitely some sort of puncture marks, like needles touched his skin or went into his skin. It's not red, but just like, looks like little puncture marks. They're probably gone by now, but he took a picture of it. And since then, I've learned that he actually has nanites in him, which I believe to be enhancement nanites, not controlling or monitoring nanites, but just nanites to help his physical condition. And I think he's had accelerated healing. He might be able to comment on this differently, but I'm pretty sure he's had accelerated healing since his recent surgery. Even before that, he noticed a slight improvement in some of his health before his recent surgery. Oh, yeah. That he had to go in for. So there's that. Um, well, I want you to do one thing for me, okay? Because I'm going to have you back on here at the end of the month for about a half an hour. But I, okay. I do want you, you know, uh, the, not every night, but this start recording yourself sleeping. I mean, and just see if anything strange happens, you know, because again, like I stress, like when I saw that thing, I lost, you know, the, the, I don't know any way I could have a piece of metal in me where I have it at. There's no way. I mean, yeah, I was in the military. I, I went through things, but I certainly would have known if I got punctured with a big, the thing is about a quarter inch big. I mean, and, or a little bit lower, smaller than a quarter inch. I'm sorry, I exaggerated there. But it was no way it could have got into my spine. No possible way. And the only thing I can think about is that time that I saw that bright light and, you know, and it took off. I mean, you know, who knows how long, uh, you know, in reality it could have been. I mean, loss of time. You know, just because I was awake, you can lose time just like sleeping. But I, I just got a, a sneaking suspicion. I don't think you're being astroed. I, I, I really think that you're being abducted and you don't realize it. And th they're implanting certain things into your brain uh, just for, you know, if you don't realize you're being abducted. And that, I could be 100% mm -hmm. wrong. But I've, for the last 14 months doing this show, I've had a lot of people on about UFOs. And on my other shows, when I was doing normal broadcasts on, you know, in radio stations, I probably had thousands of, of people, you know, some people claim they were abducted, which I know they were never. Uh, but I had some cases of people I remember 
that, uh, you know, they were surely abducted where they were transported and returned. And it was just a loss of time. They didn't even realize it. So I just want you to do that experiment for us, okay? And it'd be good for you, too, because okay. then you'll know if it's astral or not. All of a sudden, if you see your said self in bed, right, snoring away, you know, and sleeping, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you play it back, and all of a sudden, you're gone for an hour or half an hour or, or 10 minutes or whatever, and you can't account for that time unless you, you, you know, sleepwalk, then, then that'll kind of at least answer that. And then you know for sure which way it's actually going, for sure. Okay, I'll definitely try that soon. Um, you know, I'll try audio recording my sleep. Um, wanted to comment on the white light, which is, of course, different than dying. But since the Mount Adams incident, I've had at least three um, occurrences of seeing flashes of white light. One was when I was awake during, like, inside of my home. It wasn't a power surge. It was definitely a flash of white light. I didn't see it outside the windows of my house. There was no lightning. There was no noise. Just a flash of white light in the room. This also happened to me twice when I was falling asleep because... um, There's no noise. Again, I don't think there's anything outside. I think it's either some sort of technology they were using to maybe scan me or monitor me or um, some sort of white light, like maybe even um, like at checkout counters and grocery stores to scan things, but just like just a quick flash you mean like a laser yeah laser where they just scan it yes yeah i think it's something like that that's the sense i get um somehow directed into my home i've been indoors whenever i've seen this it only happened a few times i think these from what i've experienced these beings come and go a bit not from the earth i don't think too much at least they stay near here but um, sometimes there, there are these durations like days or weeks where there's occasional something or a little check-in or a little experience. Um, but they tend to reach out. They, sometimes there are days or weeks or even a month or more that just seem to have no activity. And this has been going on since January, not the not the abductions, but the, um, I had a premonition in January, even before this, I call it a voyage arrived here, um, from Lyra, I believe. And it arrived here on August 11th. That's when I sensed that it was really present. And when I first had my first premonition, it was very strong, very clear that this, ship or this group of ships was on its way here. Um, 
I think they were using the electrical currents from the through the universe to travel, not like beyond light speed, not are you, you, teleportation. They could, they could be using the magnetic magnetic fields of different planets. Yeah, that's possible. But I've also heard that there's like streams of electrical currents or gravitational currents that are directly connected to solar systems even, but just like um, kind of like ocean currents, but currents through space that a lot of these extraterrestrial crafts and beings use to navigate um, something that our scientists might someday discover for ourselves. But anyway, in January, I started connecting with these, and it wasn't until April, really, that I first connected with one of the gray elders that was on the ship. He's now on planet Earth. I know where he is, I think, but his name is Mutu. Um, I sense he's over 2,000 years old in his current body, but that's just a sense of mine. Actually, that morning that I woke up and then went back to sleep and then remembered that and went back and remembered what had happened, I didn't leave the Earth again, but I went to somewhere underground that was deep underground. It was an underground cavity, like a, an old lava tube, I think, somewhere. And it was there that I met with Mutu again, um, directly in my astral body, I believe. But I remember meeting him. I think he was a little shorter than I would be as a human. But... There was a large white pyramid, a glowing white pyramid where he is underground. And that's something that they brought with them. I think there's about half a dozen of them around the earth. Um, that was part of their mission, something that I didn't really learn about until recently. And now it was within that pyramid... Now, we're going to have to save that to the next time I have you on the show. Our time is virtually gone. See how fast okay, it goes? Okay, I can definitely... And, you know, we, we need to, uh, to finish this off. Now, I, people are, are are chatting with me like, Matt, when you were at the campground, did you guys ever get any sightings of UFOs? Uh, any strange things? I know Michael said he saw UFOs. That, oh. That, and people want to so know if you did. saw anything. Yeah, we did. Again, I wasn't at the field. It was like right after dark. Um, I wasn't present on the Skywatch field at East Eddy on August 25th, but a lot of the other UFOI team members were there. James Goland filmed it with his night vision camera. Some of the UFOI team cameras, I think with Ambition Pictures and others, also filmed this thing, but it was this big, fairly large craft, not too far away either, like 
not too far away um, in the sky, like you could even throw something at it or launch something at it, but not that that would do anything. But it was just there, a white light. It was like every nine seconds I heard someone was counting that it would pulse a little bit. And then after people started um, shining laser pointers at it to show everyone where it was, that it really seemed to flare up, not just flare up, but it seemed to actually project a light toward the group on the field, which of course didn't seem to harm anyone, but from a different vantage point, somewhere else in East study, other people said they saw the same object and it looked, they said it looked like it projected something to the people on the field, like a spotlight or something. And then it, floated away or something like that. So that was an interesting occurrence, and I think that might even be connected to what happened. I'm not entirely certain, but I do have a suspicion that that craft, a white light craft, and the white light that Daniel saw on the mountain, and we didn't see anything at the Takwak Lake campsite, but I think those two might be connected, maybe even the same thing probably the same group that I've been dealing with since January who has now been in contact with me. And I didn't expect any of this to happen from my visions, but Michael too and other members, I don't know that other members of the UFOI team continue to be contacted or abducted, but it's Michael and I who seem to be connected in some way since the Mount Adams incident. And um, those are the lights that I remember being reported at around that time, at least related to our team. While we were at Taklak Lake for several days, the UFOI team did not seem to see any bright lights. And that's Something interesting to me, it was completely silent, completely dark, the night of the Mount Adams incident on August 27th to the 28th. And somehow I guess there was a craft there. I guess it would be easy enough for a black triangle to camouflage in the right sky over a forest. Oh, yeah. But it's if my suspicions are true, then it would be odd if both of the white light crafts that have been reported from our team um, weren't present at Taklak Lake, although they could be different. Who knows? Because East Eddy and Mount Adams is constantly getting just uh, like airport level almost of lights and crafts flying around and being sighted and Mount Adams is kind of like the LAX of Washington for UFO activity. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Washington actually has been one of the very first states that had, you know, all the way back in the 40s, you know, around Mount Rainier and Mount Adams and all that stuff, reporting of UFOs. Our time is up. Now, I will say this. Michael is going to be on for two hours on the 6th. 
maybe on the last half an hour, I, if you want to come and join us, uh, you're welcome to come on the last half an hour of the show, and the three of us can just, you know, talk about it. I would be glad to. Okay, great, uh, uh, Troy. And I, you know, enjoyed having you on. I uh, My chat has blown up here big time on one of the apps I'm on. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank you for being on the show tonight. You're very welcome. And thank you for this opportunity. I'm glad I was able to talk about all of this and finally get this whole story out in one concise conversation to the world because I've been talking about this with the UFI team on the Facebook broadcast, of course, but we're glad I was able to get this out. Well, you're getting it out to about 250,000 people. So, you know, and again, on the 6th, too, you know, uh, that's we're going to be talking about with Michael what happened on that mountain. So, you know, like I said, the last half an hour, you know, you have my phone number, you know, be prepared and then call in the last half an hour and we'll all three talk. Certainly, I would love to. I'm not sure if it will happen before then, but I also hope to go through another regression this month and maybe recover more detailed memories that I could talk about at a later time. Great. That works. Okay, Troy, I got to run out of here. Our time is up. Okay. Thank you, Gary. Okay. You have a great evening, sir. You too. A night. Yeah. And you know what? Tomorrow we're going to be talking with Ronald Farnham about UFOs. And then, you know, it gets into, like, next week, we got some major, major hitters. Uh, Timothy Cullen will be on shortly. We have Steve Bassett, a lot of different people in the UFO. Tonight was just the starting of it. And I wanted uh, Troy to get his story out because he isn't with the UFOI team, with my friend who runs it, Michael W. Hall. And I just wanted to get a story out for people who could listen to it because I found it so interesting between the Bigfoot and the UFO thing and the missing time and and the car being magnetized like that. And, you know, just all the weird things that would happen, the loss of time uh, with Michael W. Hall's machine, you know, imprinting the time. That's a long time to just all of a sudden disappear. But... Who knows? Maybe several people in that UFO I team were abducted. It certainly sounds like Michael W. Hall might be went on a special ride, and maybe Troy did uh, right with him. I, I still don't know about the astral thing. I, I got a funny feeling he's probably leaving body and 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 mind all at one time. I, I really do. Anyway, we'll be back on tomorrow, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about the news. Uh, you know, and then get right into UFOs again for the uh, Patsy uh, uh, De- Demon song uh, by the Patsy. Or I, if I'm saying it wrong, I apologize. They're a French group, uh, you know, from France. Great song. They wanted me to play it on the show. So as I leave the air here tonight, I'm going to go ahead and 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 play a little bit more. Please check out the Night Dreams Talk Radio website at www.nightdreamstalkradio.com. Also, if you want to keep our show free of advertising, just hit the donate button. Give a buck or two. Remember, all prior shows are always free to listen to. 
We at Night Dreams Talk Radio thank you for your support. your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.